your Bibles, Baptist would you turn Bible to 2 Timothy chapter 4? And while you're Hayes. turning there, where, John Arnold, where are you? Okay, all right. It's not enough they had all these young, dynamic, inspiring, incredible, amazing young speakers before us. They had to put a clip of Billy Graham from about 150 years ago. It's like the dot at the end of the exclamation point of you old fogies have a high bar set here. And I'll tell you, young preachers have set the bar very, very high. In fact, I, I looked at my message again this morning, and it's looking a little anemic. It needs like a vitamin B12 shot. And uh, John and I got together. I, John's known for praying. I, I'm, I've been praying a lot more after following you guys. I'll tell you, it's been, it's been tough. But I, my real dilemma, my real dilemma was trying to figure out if I should have my shirt untucked or tucked in. That's what I really wrestled with. And, and, and at this point in my life, I don't have enough hair up here to do a man bun. I really don't brush it anymore. I place it. And that's just the way it is for me now. And, and I don't wear skinny jeans for obvious reasons. So you've got Jim and John this morning. It's kind of a geriatric jib and jab. Uh, and, and they put us in the mornings because, because we fall asleep about 7.30 every night, even if it's in our own preaching. So, John, it is an honor. I, I love the Haley family. We have loved them since uh, Baptist Bible College days, way back when, 66, uh, and uh, I thank God for the privilege of knowing them. I am so proud of these two boys right here. And, and Melissa, you guys, uh, I, I'm proud for you. I'm proud for them. Uh, what, an, what a testimony. What a blessing. Uh, and let's give the Haley's a hand, all right? It's one of the best churches in our fellowship. And I want to thank you for the privilege of speaking sincerely uh, today. I'm Jim Bays, saved when I was eight years old, called to preach when I was 19 years old, called a pastor when I was 26 years old. I was born in Kentucky, uh, raised or reared, I, was, I prefer raised. I was raised in Illinois, educated in Missouri, and my first pastorate lasted a little bit over 41 years. Now I'm gonna do something I'm not comfortable doing, it's not my message, but uh, I have, uh, for 40 years, over 40 years ago, I wrote a book called Because I'm Saved. We had so many people getting saved. We had, um, we had hundreds, literally, hundreds a year getting saved. And I didn't have any kind of a baptistic tool uh, to, to train them, to mature them. And so I, I self-published a book for uh, thousands of them for all these years. Um, and I just had a publisher pick it up. Uh, Faithway's gonna, gonna print it. They're gonna be printed within the next uh, week or two. So uh, around the front here, if you want to pick up one of these, these are for new converts. It's strong on the local church, baptism, stewardship, uh, witnessing, 19 reasons why you can't be lost uh, once you're saved. So if you want one of those, go ahead and get those, and, and I'm through with that. I don't like promoting them, but I, I want it to be a tool. When I resigned, and I didn't really use the word resign, I used the word reassign, because I knew that when God gave a calling to me that he never takes that back. Uh, his callings don't change. And so uh, I, I knew it was going to be something. I didn't know it was going to be what it is right now. Originally, we were going to take a year 
and we were going to travel around to small churches. I came out of a small church, about 35 or 40 people, never had more than 45 people. And my, my preacher uh, was a big old preacher from Alabama, and he was a construction worker. He worked 48, 55 hours, 54 hours a week doing construction, preached on Sunday morning, preached on Sunday night, preached on Wednesday night. Uh, our church never grew. Uh, we had five people in our youth department. Four of them are in full-time ministry today. Uh, I wish I had that kind of percentage uh, going. He felt like a failure. I think it was an incredible success. Uh, but I came from a little church. My wife came from a much bigger church of around 100 people or so. And uh, she, her preacher lived in an apartment in the back of the church. And so when, we, when I surrendered, when she surrendered separately, we figured we'd be working full-time jobs and, and living in a little apartment somewhere. And I just want you to know, uh, you young preachers, I want you to know that, that the honor and the privilege uh, of the calling of God is something you cannot measure. You cannot know how important, how wonderful that is. We were talking on the way here how good God has been to us. And you know what? We think back, and yeah, there were some rough bumps in the road, but I'm going to tell you something. God has been amazing. I hear every once in a while preachers talk about, well, if I hadn't gone into ministry, I'd be famous and I'd be rich. Well, when God called me to preach, I was an insecure, not knowing what I was going to do, son of an alcoholic who made a whole dollar twenty-five an hour. And if God hadn't called me to preach, I'd probably be dead right now, or who knows what else, in all kinds of trouble. And I just give all glory to God. I believe he, he I'll tell you what, I, there's nothing like it. I, there's nothing I would rather do. And that's why my retirement lasted three months. And I'm back at uh, First Baptist Church in Coronado, California. Don't hate me. Someone has to do it. It's, it's a dirty job. I know I've heard some of you talk. You hope there's a purgatory so I can go there because I've got to be in San Diego for the last 45 years. There is no purgatory. I'm not going there. So that's the way it is. But, but I, I, I knew that God had a plan. I, I was planning on going back to my former church and teaching the seniors and so on, and God had something else in mind, and I am so thrilled that he did. I want to read 2 Timothy 4, 1. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick, and that means the living, and the dead, at his appearing in his kingdom. And he says, preach, which means proclaim. Proclaim the word, be instant or ready, in season, out of season. In other words, at all times. Reprove, which means to expose, resulting in conviction. Specifically, to expose that results in conviction. The Holy Spirit will use it. Rebuke, which is correction that doesn't necessarily result in conviction. Exhort, which means to call to comfort. It's actually the word parakaleo, which is uh, the called alongside one, which is the Holy Spirit who's called alongside of us to comfort us. And to do so, he says, with all long suffering or patience and doctrine and teaching, for the time will come when they will not endure or hold to sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. They want to hear what they want to hear, and they don't want to hear what they don't want to hear. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables or myths. But watch you, be sober in other words, exercise self-restraint, watch you in all things. You want longevity? Endure afflictions, which means being hurt, 
and being treated badly every so often by some people. Uh, so, but, but endure that. Do the work of an evangelist. Be a preacher of the gospel. Make full proof of your ministry. In other words, and this is the longevity part here too. It means to fulfill thoroughly, to fully accomplish your ministry. Don't die until you're dead. You know some preachers who've already died and they're not dead yet? I do. The subject, the subject matter can be viewed in one of two ways. It can be staying in the ministry long term, because supposedly only one out of ten who go to Bible college actually stay in ministry after 30 years, or staying in a ministry at one place long term. My wife and I know six generations of some families at Midway Baptist Church. So my theme for today is keep preaching. That's the thing they assign me. I've got some other subtitles, ministry for the long haul, or staying alive, staying alive, <laughs> or don't die till you're dead, or keep on keeping on, or tie a knot and hang on. And actually, staying in the ministry or staying in a ministry is really quite simple. Go where God tells you to go. Don't do stupid. And stay where God has planted you. Don't quit and don't let people run you off. Now, that may be a little bit of a, uh, an oversimplification. I don't know, but I'm kind of a simple guy. In anticipation of this event, I began compiling some related helps, and I found things like excerpts out of Dangerous Calling by David Tripp and How to Last in Ministry by Rick Warren and another uh, study about how it takes five to seven years to become the pastor of a church and how uh, tons of stats on pastors leaving the ministry every day every week and seven symptoms of those who didn't finish well and stupid things pastors do to mess up their ministries and three reasons pastors drop out and i'm gonna tell you the honest truth i got through reading all that stuff and i wanted to quit <laughs> but the gifts and callings of god are without repentance romans eleven twenty nine says so in my opinion are, are there people who ought to quit yeah people who were never called to begin with or people who have disqualified themselves but otherwise, quitting is not an option, folks. In the light of my topic, there's some observations I want to make. It's not a very homiletic message, not very good. You young guys, expositionists, you're not going to like it at all, but I don't care. Um, the pastor and pressures. First of all, how many are pastors here? Pastors, missionaries, how many? Okay, thank you. How many are normal people? Okay, we got a few normal people here. Uh, of the pastors, how many of you have pastored for 10 years or less? Let me see your hands. Wow, cool. How about 10 to 20 years? Anybody in there? Good. How about 20 to 30 years? You're getting up there, guys. How about 30 to 40 years? Yes, sir. How about 40 to 50 years? We got some of those. Bless your heart. God bless you. I love pastors. I love pastoring. I love preaching. If you said you can have a steak dinner or you can preach, I'd say I'll do both. Give me the steak dinner and let me preach. But I want to eat after I preach because I can't eat first. I've pastored, you know, I've pastored one church, but I've pastored churches of 75, 100, 150, 200, 250, 400, 450, 500, 600, 800, 1,000, up to 1,500 people at our height. We had one service in um, 1975, I think it was, uh, where we had, um, we had 3,500 and some people in, in an Easter service. We, we, uh, uh, 
we had hundreds of saved uh, every every year it was just an amazing thing I couldn't believe what God was doing so I'm a little, little bit I know a little bit about what you go through as pastors day to day week to week and year to year I love what I read several years ago it says this the song service is finished the sermon begins during the first three sentences expectant faces look toward the preacher a single mother sighs, praying that her children will let her make it through the sermon today. An older man in failing health turns up his hearing and his hearing aid and is frustrated and angry with diminishing strength and energy. He, ser he searches to make sense of his loss. A high school sophomore listens with an MTV conditioned attention span. She's not trained to listen long. A successful businessman is caught in the depths of depression, hoping for an alternative to taking his own life. A Bible class teacher dealing with major failure clings to his faith by his fingertip. A married couple sitting together in the pew but hardly speaking together at home hope for renewal of lost affection. A frustrated parent of an angry teen looks for confidence. A widow's eyes feel, fill with tears as her hand touches the empty seat beside her. A cancer patient wants a reason to suffer through another chemo session. And their mate is desperate for strength to pers persevere. A contractor is competing with kickbacks, cheats, and a rough economy and wonders if his ethics are antiquated. A nurse is exhausted from 12-hour pressure-packed shifts hoping for renewal. A lonely soul hopes for connection with someone else. New Christians listen to build their faith. Long-term members hope for revival from spiritual lethargy. And of course, debaters want a convincing argument. And condemners want a reason to feel superior. And tired church volunteers long for a boost. And fragile church staffers need a shot in the arm. And elders need power to persevere through the pressure. And deacons need to be uplifted. And the confused seek wisdom. And the guilty seek forgiveness. And the sad seek help. And the mad seek release. And the glad seek rejoicing. And then this preacher stands up. And for three sentences, everyone listens intently, wondering, is there really a word from God for me today? Who dares to preach in the face of such needs? Who can meet such a multiplicity of expectations? Only God can. God speaks through the preacher's faltering words, stiff outlines, and overused illustrations. God speaks through his words, his tears, his personality, his humor, his gestures, his spirit. God uses unworthy vessels to anoint hearts and persuade minds and lift spirits and comfort pain and enlighten understanding. Guys, the power is not in the preacher. The power is in God. God speaking through a man gives a beautiful gift in a plain brown wrapper. And every time you stand, God has a word. So listen. It's an impossible task, meeting all the needs of the people in the congregation. It's an impossible task being the preacher that everybody expects you to be. And it wouldn't be worth trying except for God. 
We've heard about the reasons why there will only be one of 10 in ministry 30 years later. And from Tim Peters in churchleadership.com, he says, discouragement and depression, the top reasons for those are conflicts, complaining, murmuring, that kind of stuff, feeling physically exalted because of all the griping going on. Secondly, a lack of fruit and spiritual maturity in church members, uh, spending uh, time with people and, and, and wondering if they've moved off off the, the bubble at all. Uh, apathy, number three, the low level of commitment and with, of so many members. I, I, in Coronado, I'm gonna tell you what, in Coronado, it's like, if you don't know where, anybody know Coronado, what it is? It's this like resort town, Del Coronado's there. It's, it's unbelievable. The best beach in the country is right behind the Del Coronado. It's unreal. Mountains are 30 miles away. They have races like every other week on Sunday morning at 10 o'clock when I'm preaching. And when I go by the park, I count them because I know a bunch of my people are out there. Low commitment levels, apathy, church members who leave the church for seemingly silly or no reason at all. It's always pastors. Don't take this personally. Amen? There's nothing personal. We just feel God is moving us on to somewhere else. It always breaks my heart to lose a church member. Expectations by members, lack of time, performing tasks where the pastor and, and staff doesn't have competence. We're, we, we're called on to do things we haven't been adequately trained to do. Meetings and committees. I detest meetings. I absolutely hate meeting. I, you know, I don't know if I hate it. Yeah, I do. <laughs> so I don't have them very often. Church I went to, the, uh, this last church, they, 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 are, they, are, they had a bunch of fights going on. They had meetings every month and, uh, I mean, sometimes twice a month when they were in between pastors and, and, and they would have these things. They'd last till 1130 at night arguing, yelling, screaming at each other. Church meetings, they, they, I mean, it was like warfare in, the, in a business, church business meeting. I had my first church business meeting. I said, we're going to open up in prayer. Uh, we had prayer. We, we voted on something, and I said, okay, let's move on now. And everybody's going like, whoa, I hate meetings. Uh, family concerns, nothing causes problem. People attacking your wife, people attacking your kids. Uh, staff issues, by the way, I used to have a good-sized staff. With the school and church, I had about 55 or so staff members all together, and I'd, you know, every Monday have a staff meeting, tell everybody what to do. Now, on Monday morning, I have a meeting and tell myself what to do. I don't always do it, but neither did they. <clears throat> a lack of volunteers, not to mention perceived failure, perceived failure, because we don't, I don't have 30,000 every Sunday morning like Joe has. I, I, I don't have, is this Joe? Yeah, Joseph, whatever, yeah. I don't have 30,000 with all those campus churches all over and, and, and I haven't had all that. We, 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 you know, our, we, we went from, from 75 people to 1,000 people in four years, but only 1,000 people in four years. He's like, you know, 3,600 this campus and 30,000 all over perceived failure you know what God's gifted him I got maybe one talent maybe one maybe part of a talent he's got a oodles of talents be faithful with what God gives you to, to do be faithful to what God's called you to do For, there's gonna be a lot of in heaven there's gonna be a lot of well out swan going on because people we think maybe weren't all that Talented are going to be up there in the front of the line, and people who we thought had little, maybe 
somewhere else. And then there is failure, self-image, making comparisons with all the past. It's already been talked about this week, so I won't. Uh, loneliness, is, that's been talked about too. Seventy percent of us say that we don't have someone we can go to uh, and, and really be transparent, vulnerable, and, and, and all of that. We feel like we have to be a fail, uh, failure. I love what Joe said yesterday morning. When you, you, you Don't. You, you, you let people know you are a human being. I tell my people, I am totally capable of any sin that anybody's capable of. And I, I don't just say that. I know that's true. I am totally capable of any sin. I mean, the smartest man who ever lived, the strongest man who ever lived, the first man who ever lived, the man after God's own heart, all of them failed. Who in the world would I think I am if I thought, I'm not going to fail? It's only the grace of God. 33% preachers confessed to having in, been involved in inappropriate sexual behavior. I had a contractor one time several years ago. Uh, he, he took me out to dinner one day and he said, uh, Pastor, you know, I used to pastor a church over in Chula Vista next door to us. I said, no, I didn't know that. Tell me about it. He said, yeah, I was a young preacher. He said, and, and uh, pastoring there, and, uh, he said, uh, I'd hear about preachers who mess up. And he said, how in the world can they do that? And I didn't say anything out loud, but in my brain... And in my heart, I said, yeah, I don't understand that either. How can you stand in a pulpit having messed up, taking money, or been immoral? Or how, can you, how in the world could a guy do that? And then he said something that literally gave me goosebumps up and down my back. I mean, he said, since then, I've done everything. I wondered how in the world could those guys do that? And I, I'm telling you the honest truth. I went back to my office, and I got down on my face before God. Because you know what that was? That was pride saying that we would never do it. So moral failure. Safeguard for every minister uh, by Kevin E-Z-E-L-L. I will not view pornography. Hey, what is it? 50-some percent of preachers are viewing pornography? I will, that's, I will not view. I will not show affection that could be questioned to a member. Not be inappropriate. Not be flirty. I will be careful in answering cards, letters, and email notes from the opposite sex. When counseling a member of the opposite sex, I will be sure another person is present or the door is open. I will not schedule multiple repeat sessions with any woman. Number five, he says, other than my spouse or another family member, I will not be at a residence alone with the opposite sex. If you're going knocking on a door and someone visited last week and the husband's not home, don't you dare go inside. You said, Richard, don't you trust yourself? I don't trust me. I don't trust her. I don't trust anybody except God. If married, I will not have a meal alone with the opposite sex other than my spouse or a family member. Hey, Mike Pence was ridiculed for that, and they're not laughing at him now, are they? If married, I will not be in an automobile alone with the opposite sex. I told my people for 40-some years, I said, if, if, if you're broken down the side of the highway, to the ladies, if you're broken down the side of the highway, I will stop. You can have my car. Go get help. I'm staying there. We're not going to be in the car together. By the way, in the pulpit, we have a unique opportunity to make people know we're not interested in anybody but our wives. I love that woman right there, 49 years pretty soon. 49 years we've been married, pretty soon. I'm not interested in anybody else. Took me too long to break her in. And I will pay for that dearly. 
The eighth thing he said is, I will pray for integrity of other missionaries and staff members. We need to pray for each other. We need it because we are vulnerable. And financial pressures. You remember Baptist Bible College, watch out for girls, gold, and glory? Huh? Girls, gold, and glory, women, money, and pride. And so I said all these boundaries I'm talking about with the opposite sex. I won't go to home loan. I won't counsel with the door closed. I said all these boundaries. And then with finances, as soon as we, we got to where we had a financial secretary at that first church, and same way now, I don't have anything to do with the finances. I don't write checks. I don't know where the checks are. I don't know the safe combination. Uh, it takes a, does it take a key and a combination? I don't even know that. The other church took a key and a combination. I didn't know where the keys were. I didn't want anything. And so what happens is you say, you know what? I've got these fences around, uh, so I'm not vulnerable to women, and I'm not touching the finances. I am doing all right. And that's pride. That's pride. Don't get into debt. Stay out of debt. Teach your people to be generous givers. Lead them to take care of staff. Uh, anger, a, a soft word turns away wrath. Always be quick to forgive. Burnout. Some say, some t- statistic I read says 90% of us work between 55 and 75 hours a week. I don't even believe that, quite frankly. No amens on that one, but... I always took my day off. I always told my staff to take their day off. And occasionally, we weren't able to do that because of something going on. But I always, I said, take your vacations. I was there for my son's football games. I was there for my daughter's volleyball games. I mean, that, look, uh, you got you to gotta take time off. You, I worked summers in high school at a place called Tream Steel in Chicago Heights, Illinois processing plant and uh, we, we were working six days a week eight hours a day and someone with a white helmet said we're going to go to seven days a week so we went to seven days a week three shifts round the clock guess what happened to productivity it fell through the basement you can't do that. You can't run. That burnout. I'm not. I don't want to burn out. I don't want to rust out. I just want to wear out someday. And and, and that's that's happening. Uh, physical health. Seventy-five percent of us report significant stress-related crises. You know what? I don't know. I, I know there have been times, but I don't really. I, I can't say I've been under a lot of stress. So my wife says if you're not under stress, you probably give stress to people. So I I don't know. Maybe maybe that's true. Marriage and family problems, I've told my church the whole time that God came first and right there with God's calling, not a separation, but right there with God's calling is my family first. My family was more important to me than was my church. Another reason, too busy, too driven. Uh, Read Gordon MacDonald's book from 100 years ago on that. Uh, 90% of us feel like we're inadequately prepared for for ministry. You, you You know why I'm back preaching? Whoever said this, find what you love to do and do it and you'll never work a day in your life. They had it nailed. This, what I'm doing right now, I would rather do that than sleep. And I didn't sleep last night, neither John Arnold, so, because we were all nervous. After you young guys did such a stinking good job. Here's one, looking for a bigger, better church. Truth is, the grass is not always greener somewhere else. Sometimes it's artificial turf. 
And other times, it's right above the septic tank. And here's a question to ask yourself. If that church is open and it's so great, why did the other guy leave? And it was kind of fun building our own. Just staying there. Look at the money the church saved, not having to candidate and pull people in every five, six, seven, eight years. Look at the money we saved, not having to move around all over the country and reestablish fellowship and all that. So, so maybe that better church is right there where you are. And if we just be a better pastor, it'd be a better church. 1973, the United States agreed to a ceasefire in Vietnam. The Miami Dolphins had just defeated the Washington Redskins in the Super Bowl. LBJ lay in the Capitol Rotunda. State laws denying early abortions were avoided. That's when all of that Holocaust began. Indians seized wounded knee. The Watergate inquiry continued. San Diego's Ken Norton won a split decision over Muhammad Ali. Our first plane load of POWs from Vietnam came home. Picasso died, Spiru Agnew, who? Resigned, and Gerald Ford became the new VP. Egypt invaded the Eastern Bank and Golan Heights on Yom Kippur. The Arab oil embargo caused crippling prices, and we lined up uh, for blocks trying to get gas. Willie Mays retired from baseball. O.J. Simpson became the first player to rush more than 2,000 yards in one season, and he's still running. Tony Orlando sang, tie a yellow ribbon round the old, old tree. Patricia Hearst was abducted and a 26-year-old young man, his wife and two-year-old daughter, became the pastors of Midway Baptist Church in Imperial Beach. And in the last 45 almost years of ministry, when I've preached away, I've often said, I've said in your church, Mike, now your church, John, I'd say something like, greetings from Carnifornia, the land of fruits and nuts. And I say it's a well-established scientific fact. There's a continental drift toward the West Coast, and that's why every loose nut rolls that way. <laughs> but I've always done so with tongue-in-cheek, feeling very privileged and humbled to be allowed to serve our God in that great state. It's a dark state. It's a morally bankrupt state. And the light of the gospel shines very brightly there. I was young then, but now I'm older, and I have never been forsaken by God, but rather blessed by him in innumerable ways I don't deserve. Times have changed, and I have a new favorite, few new favorite songs, Just a Slower Walk With You. <laughs> it is well with my soul, but my knees hurt. <laughs> Nobody knows the trouble I have seeing. <laughs> Things like that. Now, I want to go through the rest of them. I've passed through a lot of stages in my life, but right now I'm at the point where this prayer is mine. God grant me the senility to forget the people I never liked. <laughs> and the good fortune to run to the ones that I do like and the eyesight to tell the difference. <laughs> I have learned some things in my ministry. Life is totally unfair, first of all. Secondly, it's easier to get older than it is to get wiser. And thirdly, the only difference between a rut and a grave is the depth and that both ends are knocked out. So, here's really, now that, all that's introduction, so here's my message. 
1 Samuel 30, you don't have to turn to it. I'm not going to read it. You're out there saying, praise God for that. <laughs> but here, I'm going to give you three verses that have kept me in ministry, kept me in the saddle all this time, and make me still want to preach the gospel. The first one is in 1 Samuel 30, verses 1 through 8. But, but I home in on this one. David encouraged himself in the Lord. Because I'm going to tell you something. My greatest cheerleader is right there wearing turquoise this morning. That's my greatest cheerleader. Before her was my mom. That was my greatest cheerleader. But there are times when no one's around to encourage you. There are times when you trip and you fall. And getting up seems you question whether it's really worth it. David and his band of mighty men were, were riding into town, but before they got there, into their village, rather, before they got there, they saw smoke ascending through the branches of the trees. They quickened their pace and hurried on into Ziglag, and when they got there, their worst fears were realized because all the buildings and all the campsites were burnt down and all of their loved ones were gone and their possessions of any value were gone. And the Bible says they all sat there and wept until they had no more power to weep. Have you been there? Whoever said you had to be, that, that broken, uh, that was good. God breaks you. H. Frank Collins used to say, Jim, God will use you when you go through your Gethsemane. He was right. But there was more than one Gethsemane. Wouldn't there probably be more? They sat there until they had no more power to weep. And then, and then, and then. This is like this is why I hate meetings. His men said, let's stone him. They had a meeting. It's his fault. If we'd been here, it wouldn't have happened. Let's stone him. And David said, or the book says, David encouraged himself in the Lord. I don't know what he said, but he, I, I bet it was things like, Lord, this is bad. I remember one time I was watching the sheep and a lion came down. That lion was fierce, man. Wanted to take those sheep. And he turned on me, but you know what? You gave me the strength to kill the lion. There's a time when a bear came. Same thing happened. Oh, I remember Goliath. Yeah. And he began to encourage himself. He took me through all of those things. I thought I was a goner, but hey, I'm here. He took me through it. And he encouraged himself in the Lord, verse 6. And then, that's not, he didn't stop there. He inquired of the Lord in verse 8. He prayed, John. He prayed, shall I pursue? And the Lord answered and said, pursue. And the Bible says in verse 18, he recovered all. I don't know how many times this has given me what I needed to go through a tough time. David encouraged himself in the Lord, and he inquired of the Lord, and he was given his marching orders by God, and he went forward, and he recovered everything that was lost. My second favorite verse, Job 13, 15. Though he slay me, Yet will I trust him? He had lost more than David lost. 
He'd lost his wealth. He'd lost his children. Rick, I don't know how you do that. I don't know how you go through that. I can't imagine going through losing one. Job lost them all. He lost his wife's confidence. There have been times because of that lady right there and her confidence in this body of flesh that I've hung in there because I knew she believed in me. He lost his influence in the city. He lost his friends. He lost his health. He lost it all. And he said, God, I want you to know if you kill me, I'm still going to trust you. What are you going to do with a guy like that? There's no quit in that. God, you're going to have to quit me because I'm not going to quit on my own. My third favorite passage is in 1 Kings 20, verses 22 through 30. And that's where, and, and this, is, this ought to be encouraging to all of us because, because God used the most wicked king Israel had had up to that point. So there's hope for us. He can use us. He used Ahab, he can use us, amen? And the Syrians were there, and, and they, were, they, were, they were all over in the, in the hills there. They were all over, and, and Ahab was shaking and quaking in his boots. He said, what am I going to do? And, and God's prophet came to him and said, you're going to win the battle. Not because of you, but because I want them to know that God is in charge. And this little old ragtag band of, uh, led by an ungodly king, went out there and won the battle. And the Syrians regrouped later on and said, what went wrong, man? We had all of the war implements, we had the strategy, we had everything going. What in the world went wrong? And, and their, God, their prophets got together and said, well, you see, their God is the God of the mountains. Our God's the God of the valleys. If we get them in the valley, we can whip them. And that's usually where we get whipped, is in the valley. Ahab said, now what am I going to do? The man of God said, God says, God says you're going to win that battle too. You know why? Because God, who's God when you're running record attendances, is the same God who's God when you don't have anybody in church. And God, who's God when you've got plenty of finances, the same God who's got when, when you don't have enough to make the bills. And, and the God who's God when you get people saved uh, and baptized and joining is the same God when, when it seems like the altar is dry and nobody's responding and nothing much is happening. God is always God. So remember, God on the mountaintop is God in the valley. Never undo in the valley what you did on the mountaintop. And valleys are what make the mountains so wonderful. Because if you didn't have valleys, you wouldn't have mountains. And that last point, again. The pastor pro tem. I, uh, three, three months. Three months after we retired, resigned, whatever, I got a call and said, would you be uh, our our interim pastor. I said, yeah. Yeah, I was missing preaching every week. I was preaching some, but not every week. I missed helping people and serving people and just being a blessing to people. So I was the interim pastor from May until the following January. Then I became the pastor, but it dawned on me. Are you listening, young preachers? We're all interim 
we're all interim pastors. If the Lord doesn't come back, you will no longer be pastoring that church. Something will happen. When I, my last Sunday at Midway Baptist Church, now Ocean View Church, my last Sunday, I literally handed a baton to Steve Boshin, my successor. And I, I preached about a five-minute message. Don't you wish that were today? About a five-minute message talking about the U.S. Women's Olympics hopes that were dashed three straight times for three reasons. One, dropping the baton. Secondly, not handing it off in, in the right amount of time, 1.9 seconds. And thirdly, not handing it off in the prescribed 20-meter zone. It had always been our desire not to stay so long that we ruined the church, that we ran the church into the ground. Knowing when to pull that trigger is the tough part. But I'm now at First Baptist Church, and the goal for the rest of my life is still to finish strongly, faithful to God, faithful to my wife, faithful to my children and grandchildren, and faithful to my church. And I got three great poems I don't have time to read. How'd I last 41 years in one church? I just didn't quit. Anybody know the name Jim Downing? Well, we had Billy Graham today pass away, 99 years. Jim Downing was in my church the last two years. Jim Downing is a Pearl Harbor survivor, United States Navy. He came the last two years. He just passed away three weeks ago, I think it is. Co-founder with the Navigators Ministry, 104 years old. Let me ask you a question. How in the world did he get to be 104? He didn't die until he was dead. 